Inspired by the C.S. Lewis book, Mere Christianity, this podcast is about why I believe what I believe. Welcome to Bear Christianity. Well, Happy New Year. I, I know I ended the year with a, a few lighter episodes, and we are jumping into some deep stuff in 2022. So uh, these first few episodes are going to be on predestination and free will, God's sovereignty, man's free choice, Calvinism, Arminianism, uh, you know, all sort of similar ways of saying the same thing. And so this is a big discussion in the Christian community, and it's been a debate argument, discussion, however you want to label it, for centuries now. And so we're going to talk a lot about that. Uh, the I feel like I could start this episode off with like 20 minutes of disclaimers <laughs> regarding this topic. So uh, let me just say, first off, that I have lots of family and friends on both sides of this argument. There are uh, teachers and, and pastors in my life that have just been a huge influences on me on both sides. So right off the bat, this is like a like an in family type of discussion. This this Calvinism, Arminianism, predestination, free will, this stuff is within the Christian community. So it's it's very different from from a Christian debating a Muslim, so to speak. Um, so uh, you know, many times I've listened to lots of debates on this subject. And the Arminian and the Calvinist, or you know, they will say, "I consider the my opponent basically a brother or sister in Christ." And so they that we're on the same team. In fact, ninety nine percent of the time, they are fighting in the trenches together, but they do disagree on on a few different things. And so uh, a great example of this would be Michael Brown and James White. And so. They have debated each other on this subject, Calvinism and Arminianism, yet at the same time, they have debated on the same team together for lots of other things, defending the Christian faith. And so, you know, this is, this is an in-house, in-family discussion. And again, I've got, I've got lots of friends and family and people that I respect. There are lots of great men and women on both sides. So I just want to say that from the outset. Now, uh, the the word soteriology is the study of salvation. How are we saved? And that's uh, kind of what Calvinism and Arminianism is not all about. There there are some other facets of it, and uh, but that's that's sort of what we're going to hone in on and focus on today. So Calvinism, from a very basic standpoint, God predestines before creating the world who will be saved, and so words like election predestination, stuff like that, are, are typically associated with Calvinism. Now, this is a theological set of beliefs that are following the teachings of John Calvin. But here is what's very important. Calvinism and Arminianism, they're terms that are used out of convenience sake, but people on both sides would, would not, they don't love that they're identified with a certain man, because what they believe is they are, they are, uh, believing they are defending what the Bible is teaching. And so just because someone calls themselves a Calvinist doesn't mean you can go to, and find some quote from John Calvin and they have to believe everything that he ever wrote. Um, the same thing with Arminianism, that, that's a theological set of beliefs based on uh, a, the teaching of a guy named Jacob Arminius. But again, you, they, it's not like people that hold that position just believe everything they said. No, the, the, their starting point is the Bible. 
but some of these ideas uh, are sort of um, based on some things written by John Calvin and and Jacob Arminius. And so careful with with that sort of association. Now, for f- convenience sake, I will be using the term Calvinism and Arminianism a lot uh, just to distinguish the, the two sets of beliefs, but um, just, just realize that. So uh, Arminianism is different from Calvinism in that they believe that through grace, God offers the possibility of salvation to all people, and then they have the free will choice to accept or reject God's offer. And again, this is some teaching uh, based on the writings of Jacob Arminius, and he was actually taught by a guy named Theodore Beza, who was taught by John Calvin. So these these two men, Calvin and, Ar- and Arminius, are uh, fairly close. They're closely linked. I think Arminius was like born, or excuse me, Arminius was like four years old when Calvin died. So they didn't know each other, but they're very close in history. So you may be asking, why are you even discussing this stuff? You know, I am not an expert. I am not a, a theologian, but I am a student of the Bible. And I've and, and again, this podcast is why I believe what I believe. And this is certainly an area that I have spent a lot of time researching because I wanted to sort of have a, a foundational belief for why why I believe what I believe. And so that is going to be our discussion here: is my struggle with these two sort of competing concepts. Now. And and also, this is important. When I start discussing other religions, I have to lay down what I believe because there's there's vast differences in how Christians believe we are saved and what the Bible teaches about salvation versus other religions. And so I have to sort of lay down my foundation so I can contrast that as I talk about other religions. Also, there's a right attitude and a wrong attitude to approach this conversation. Again, 99% 99% of the time, Calvinists and Arminians are on the same team together. Uh, and, but, you know, because this discussion has gone on for centuries, critics of Christianity will say, well, the Bible just must not be clear enough. I mean, why can't Christians get on the same page? Uh, a few different thoughts on this. You know, so why would God allow this disagreement to happen over centuries? Is he not clear enough in his word? Well, Proverbs 27, 17 says, iron sharpens iron and one man sharpens another. Here's my thought. The nature and character of God is so rich, we cannot grasp it all at one time. We, we can't fully understand all of the things of God all at the same time. It's like sensory overload. It's, it's too much. It's like a juggler trying to juggle too many objects at the same time. So what can happen is we can sort of focus on, in trying to hold up everything, we can't do it. So we, we sort of focus on a few things too much. And so if we focus too much on one attribute of God, we would neglect others. And so I believe God uses people on both sides of this argument. He, he uses this tension in, the, in this discussion to keep Christians grounded, and it, lest we lest we go too far one way. Uh, An example of this would be hyper-Calvinism. So there are people that don't even witness. They don't don't, um, tell others about Christ because if they're, they're, they think, oh, well, if they're not part of the elect, I don't need to to tell them. And so that's that's wrong. That's, That's going too far in one direction. So I believe this tension in this debate keeps uh, Christians balanced and, and keeps us going back to God's word, searching for what He's trying to tell us, and it, it helps us um, think about the the true nature and character of God in in all His attributes. 
So I hope this discussion will be very fruitful. There may be more questions than usual over these few episodes because this is a like a hot topic among many Christians. And if you're not a Christian and you just found your way to this podcast, I'm so glad you're listening. And this will still, I pray that this will be helpful for you as you understand what Christians believe, both Arminian and Calvinist, what they believe about salvation. And, and we certainly pray that God would, would do a work in your heart. And, uh, and so we're, thank you for listening. Now, if you have questions, you can always email them to me at bearchristianity at gmail.com. I also have an Instagram account. I don't post a whole lot on there, but my Instagram name is at the real Bear Martin. And I don't even know, is it called a name? That, that's, that's how lame I am. Maybe it's called like a handle or something. I don't know. Anyway, at the real Bear Martin, you can message me on Instagram as well. Now, this is typically where I would do a Bear in the Woods segment if you've been following this podcast, but. This podcast has grown thanks to the faithfulness of you, the listener, coming back each Tuesday for the newest episode. And you may remember a previous Bear in the Woods segment where I mentioned a service that comes to your home and changes out the toilet paper rolls. It's a well-known fact that 50% of married people do not know how to change the toilet paper roll. And this actually led to our first Bear Christianity sponsor. So this episode of Bear Christianity is brought to you by Toilet Timer. Do you neglect your family by spending too much time on the toilet? Sure, reading or watching TikTok for hours on the toilet can be fun, but it's bad for your circulation and wastes valuable time you could spend with your family. Not anymore. Introducing the Toilet Timer. With Toilet Timer, simply download the app and GPS mark the locations of the toilets in your house. Once activated, Toilet Timer will begin playing Cats in the Cradle after one minute on the toilet. This will be the motivation you need to get up and spend quality time with your family. Bear Christianity listeners receive $100 off their first month when they use the coupon code PUSH. That's PUSH, P-U-S-H. Toilet timer. Get it done. Details may vary. Some restrictions may apply. All right, so here's my testimony. When I was five years old, I understood that I was a sinner and I needed a Savior. I, there was no way that I could earn God's favor by doing good things, obeying my parents, stuff like that. I, I had a sin nature. I was a sinner, and I needed a Savior, and Jesus Christ was that Savior. So Jesus Christ came. He lived a perfect life, and He took my place. He died on the cross, paying the, the penalty for my sin. And if I believed that Jesus was who he said he was and that he did that for me, if, if I accepted that, then I would be forgiven of my sin. And so I believed in Jesus Christ and, and asked him to forgive me of my sins, and I was saved. So that's at five years old. I, didn't, I could not have explained the Trinity. I, I had never even heard of Arminianism and Calvinism, uh, but that is my testimony. And then a few weeks later, I was baptized. Uh, funny story about my baptism. I'm, I'm in front of the church, and you know I'm nervous as a little kid. And it's not like the, you know, we had to undergo this like thorough investigation and and answer all these deep theological questions. But when you're up there about to be baptized, the pastor asked me something to the effect of, you know, Barrett, how do you know that you're a child of God? How do you know that you're saved? And I I was so nervous, and I mixed up my words. I said because I forgave Jesus of my sins. <laughs> so anyway, funny story there. But um, but I believe that is when I was saved. I was saved at a at a very young age, and I didn't 
think about it at the time. I mean, just growing up, uh, again, a very good Christian home, Christian parents. I went to a great church. I went to a Christian school. And so I just, I love my childhood and I'm so thankful for that. Um, and we, it's not like we were discussing Arminianism and Calvinism. But I guess in my mind, I had just sort of assumed uh, more of an Arminian position. So the first time I heard about Calvinism was, I guess, middle school maybe. And I thought it was absurd. It, it is crazy. Why would anybody believe that? Uh, if Calvinism is true, why witness? Why go to church? Why study the Bible? Why does God actually punish people for sin? I mean, he's choosing who's going to accept him and who's going to reject him. So why does he even punish people for sin? Um, so I thought Calvinism was some sort of obscure belief that hardly anybody believed, just kind of a rare group of strange people. Um, some verses to uh, to support the Arminian position, just you know, just some popular verses. I'm, I'm just going to read a list here. John 3.16, for God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. Romans 10.13, for everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. 1 John 2.2, 2, he is the propitiation or the sacrifice for our sins, and not for ours only, but also for the sins of the whole world. 1 Timothy 2.3 and 4, this is good and it is pleasing in the sight of God our Savior who desires all people to be saved and to come to the knowledge of the truth. And, and so here's a, a real common thing Arminians will say. They'll say, see here it says all people, and all means all. That's all, all means. And so we, we, it's all people. Second uh, Timothy 2.12, if we endure, we also will reign with him. If we deny him, he also will deny us. So that implies that we have this choice. Joshua 24.15, now I'll just sort of shorten this. It's a real popular verse, but it says in there, choose this day whom you will serve. And then later down, Joshua says, for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. There's the active choice of Joshua to serve the Lord. Ezekiel 18.32, this is God speaking, for I have no pleasure in the death of anyone, declares the Lord. So turn and live. Second Peter 3.9, the Lord is not slow to fulfill his promise, as some count slowness, but is patient toward you, not wishing that any should perish, but that all should reach repentance. Matthew 23, 37, this is Jesus speaking, Jerusalem, Jerusalem, the city that kills the prophets and stones those who are sent to it. How often would I have gathered your children together as a hen gathers her chicks under her wings, and you were not willing. And then lastly, Revelation three twenty. again, this is Jesus, behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come into him and eat with him and he with me. So there you have Jesus is knocking and it's our choice. We, we open up to him. And so, you know, I was, I was just blown away that anybody could think of being a Calvinist. Uh, in high school, junior year, I think, our Bible class, our, we had a Calvinism-Arminianism debate. And so our teacher just split the class in half. We didn't, like, choose our sides or anything. We just uh, randomly split the class in half. And I was so thankful that I was on the Arminian side. And I, I love debates. I mean, you could probably tell just from this podcast that I, I like uh, looking into this sort of stuff. And so I was, I was in my Bible. We had a few uh, classes as a team to sort of get our arguments together, and I was all about it. I was ready to slay the Calvinists with, with all my Bible verses. And so, um, you know, I enjoyed that debate. At the end of it, though, our, I didn't know it at the time, but our teacher was a Calvinist. And he, he you know, so he made a few closing comments. He, he didn't try to persuade us in either way. He was just sort of making general comments at the end of the debate. Um, and, he, and he didn't even tell us what side he was on. I, I found this out later. But 
Um, he said this. He said, "If God is is God all powerful?" And you know, as a Christian, I would say yes, absolutely. And he said, "If God wanted someone to be saved, does He have the power to save them?" And at, that was the first time I was like, "Okay, I, I mean, I, I get that. I I didn't study it a whole lot. Again, I was so uh, wrapped. I just so was so wrapped up in the Armenian way of thinking that." Um, it, it was just like, okay, I get it, sort of, and that just sort of stuck in my head. And, and looking back, I can, I can see how that was sort of in the back of my head. Um, so in optometry school, I was part of a men's Bible study that was just a big uh, moment in my life. It, what a, it was just a great group um, uh, on me. And so I started listening to a lot of sermons. This is when podcasts and things like that were becoming more popular. And so a lot of pastors were putting sermons out there, and I could get them on my phone and listen to them in the car, so it just made it a lot easier. And uh, so I listened to lots of different pastors. Uh, Some of them were Arminian. I wasn't thinking about any of this stuff, but some of them were Arminian, but I discovered on accident that a lot of the pastors that I really liked were Calvinist. Uh, R.C. Sproul was one of them, and I had listened to hours of, of his stuff, um, he does a lot with atheism versus Christianity, and I just really like the way he laid out his arguments and things like that. And so I had listened to hours before I realized that he's actually one of the most widely known Calvinists of our time. He wrote a book called Chosen by God, and so I, I read that. Um, Norman Geisler, who's an Arminian, wrote sort of a refutation book to that called Chosen but Free. Um, so I've read different books, uh, uh, several books actually. Um, discussing this topic from each side. And so I've got a pretty good idea of where the arguments are, and I've listened to lots of debates and things like that. But, you know, it was in, in enjoying these pastors and then realizing they were Calvinists, that's what sort of motivated me, like, okay, well, these seem like reasonable people. Like, I, you know, when they're preaching out of God's Word, it's not like they're making up a bunch of crazy stuff. Like, I can see how logically they're walking through Bible verses. It's not even that they were talking about Calvinism in their sermons. I just like the way that they preached, and they seem like reasonable people. And so I was like, I need to at least look into this. So as I started you know, reading some more Calvinistic books, now I had different questions. Remember before, I'm like, you know, if Calvinism is true, why witness? Why, why does God even punish people who, uh, who he chose to go to hell in the first place? So you know, I, that, those were my initial questions. Now I had different questions. If God is trying his best to save everybody, then he is failing a lot of the time. And that just didn't seem to correspond with the nature and character of God. Um, He's God. He does what he pleases. And so uh, if God has an equal desire for everybody to be saved and, and his grace gives us the ability to accept or reject him, then what is the determining factor in my salvation? So that's sort of a lengthy question, but uh, basically, if I had like an identical twin, same upbringing, you know, God gives the same amount of grace to us. We we know the exact same stuff about God. One of us chooses to accept God. One of us chooses to reject God. What is the determining factor in our salvation? Well, if God's just sort of laying it all out there equal and everybody's on this equal playing field, then the only thing, the only reason that a person is saved or not saved is what they do, not what God does, because God's just laying it all out there equal. And so, and I know that salvation belongs to the Lord. God gets the glory for salvation. And so simply putting everybody on an equal level, it, it doesn't, 
really matter because everybody's on an equal level. So the only determining factor is what I do. And so uh, that, that was a question now that I had. Um, many Arminians accuse Calvinists of, of believing that God chooses you know, some people to, who are going to be saved and some people who are going to hell. But if God knows everything, and, and Arminians and Calvinists would, would agree with that, uh, mostly. Now, there is a belief called open theism, which I don't believe is biblical, and I'll talk about it in a later episode. But um, if, if God knows everything, and he knew who would accept him and who would reject him, and he still chose to create the world, then he's, he's still, in a way, sentencing. Some, he's, he's creating people who he knows will go to hell. And so from uh, the Arminian position, it still doesn't ease much tension for me. Um, and then lastly, I just thought about how gracious has God been to me? I mean, I have Christian parents, part of a great church, uh, Christian school growing up. I'm 34 years old, and compare my life to a 34-year-old living in Afghanistan who's grown up with Muslim parents who taught them that to, to hate Christians, that the Bible is not God's Word, Jesus was not God in the flesh, uh, but rather just a prophet. I mean, does that 34-year-old man have the same chance of accepting or rejecting Jesus for their forgiveness of sins. I mean, God has just been so gracious in my life. So that's where the tension was in my mind. I, I just, in some way, I have a much better chance of being saved than this uh, this thirty four year old Muslim in Afghanistan. And so, it, you know, it it just it seemed to all come down to God's grace. I mean, I didn't choose any of this. God uh, put me. God gave me the parents He gave me, and. And he put me in the country that I live in. I mean, all of that. And so now I had different questions. So let me just give you some some more like Calvinist-leaning Bible verses, um, and then a, a few things to wrap up. And then, uh, again, I'm going to discuss more details over the next few episodes. So today I just wanted this to be sort of an introduction to, to my own thoughts. Again, this podcast is why I believe what I believe. So I'm just sort of describing you know, how I'm wrestling with this in my head. A Calvinist pastor and missionary that I really like listening to, his name's Paul Washer, and there's a, a sermon that I heard him preach on Ezekiel chapter 36. And so I'm just going to uh, I'm going to read several verses here, um, and and I've sort of shortened it a little bit, but his this was the main text of his sermon. Israel has uh, worshipped other idols; they they have not obeyed the Lord. So in Ezekiel 36, starting in verse 22, it says this. Therefore, say to the house of Israel, thus says the Lord God, it is not for your sake, O house of Israel, that I'm about to act, but for the sake of my holy name, which you have profaned among the nations to which you came. And then a little bit later down, it says, I will take you, this is God talking to to the people of Israel, I will take you from the nations and gather you from all the countries and bring you into your own land. I will sprinkle clean water on you and you shall be clean from all your uncleanness and from all your idols, I will cleanse you. And I will give you a new heart and a new spirit I will put within you, and I will remove the heart of stone from your flesh and give you a heart of flesh. And I will put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statutes and be careful to obey my rules. You shall dwell in the land that I gave to your fathers, and you shall be my people, and I will be your God. In Psalm 135.6, it says this, Whatever the Lord pleases, he does in heaven and on earth, in the seas and all the deeps. Ephesians 1, 3-5 says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places, 
even as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before him. In love, he predestined us for adoption to himself as sons through Jesus Christ, according to the purpose of his will. In Ephesians 1.11, it says, In him we have obtained an inheritance, having been predestined according to the purpose of him who works all things according to the counsel of his will. And here's where we've got to be consistent with the word all. If, if Arminians are going to say all means all, and that's all all means, here God is working all things according to the counsel of his will. So Calvinists sort of push back and say all things would include who's saved and who is not saved. And, and so this is the purpose of God who works all things according to the counsel of his will. In Matthew eleven twenty seven, Jesus says this, All things have been handed over to me by my Father, and no one knows the Son except the Father, and no one knows the Father except the Son and anyone to whom the Son chooses to reveal him. John six thirty seven, Jesus says, All that the Father gives me will come to me, and whoever comes to me I will never cast out. John six thirty nine. And this is the will of him who sent me, that I should lose nothing of all that he has given me, but raise it up on the last day. John six forty four. No one can come to me unless the Father who sent me draws him, and I will raise him up on the last day. In Psalm 23, 1 through 3, this was a, another sermon. It's by Matt Chandler, who's a Calvinist, and the sermon's called God is for God. You can find it on YouTube. Uh, but he says this, and, and you're going to wonder where I'm going at first, but the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul. He leads me in paths of righteousness. Why? For his name's sake. And so here we have the, the image of the Lord who is, who, who is our shepherd. Does a shepherd choose the sheep or do the sheep choose the shepherd? In John 10, starting in verse 27, Jesus is speaking. He says, my sheep hear my voice and I know them and they follow me. I give them eternal life, and they will never perish, and no one will snatch them out of my hand. My Father who has given them to me is greater than all, and no one is able to snatch them out of the Father's hand. I and the Father are one. And here, when, when he says that, Jesus is saying, the Father has given them to me, and then I save all of them. I am a, a perfect Savior. We are one in our mission to save the sheep. In Romans 8, starting in verse 28, and we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good, for those who are called according to his purpose, for those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son, in order that he might be the firstborn among many brothers. And those whom he predestined, he also called, and those whom he called, he also justified, and those whom he justified, he also glorified. What then shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? Now, Romans 9 is one of the, the biggest um, passages in the Bible, the biggest, really, on God's choice, uh, election, predestination, however you want to say it. And so uh, just sit down and read Romans 8, 9, and 10. Um, you know, that's a, that's a major passage. I mean, a lot of people will say Romans 8 is one of the greatest chapters in all of the Bible, uh, but you don't hear so much about Romans 9, because it's probably one of the most difficult passages to read in the Bible. It, 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 um, it stirs a lot of emotions. And so look, Romans 9, starting in verse 10, 
it says this, and, and, and Paul's talking here, he says, and not only so, but also when Rebekah, so um, at the foundation of the nation of Israel, you have Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And so Rebekah is Isaac's wife. Um, so also when Rebekah had conceived children by one man, our, fo- our forefather Isaac, though they were not yet born and had done nothing, either good or bad, in order that God's purpose of election might continue, not because of works, but because of him who calls, she was told, the older will serve the younger. As it is written, Jacob I loved, but Esau I hated. What shall we say then? Is there injustice on God's part? By no means. For he says to Moses, I will have mercy on whom I have mercy, and I will have compassion on whom I have compassion. So then it depends not on human will or exertion, but on God who has mercy. For the scripture says to Pharaoh, For this very purpose I have raised you up, that I might show my power in you, and that my name might be proclaimed in all the earth. So then he has mercy on whomever he wills, and he hardens whomever he wills. You will say to me then, Why does he still find fault? Basically, you know, why does God still find fault in people who reject him? For who can resist his will? That's a legitimate question. But Paul answers it this way. But who are you, O man, to answer back to God? Will what is molded say to its molder, Why have you made me like this? Has the potter no right over the clay to make out of the same lump one vessel for honorable use and another for dishonorable use? What if God, desiring to show his wrath and to make known his power, has endured with much patience vessels of wrath prepared for destruction in order to make known the riches of his glory for vessels of mercy? which he has prepared beforehand for glory, even us whom he has called, not from the Jews, but also from the Gentiles. I mean, a a very difficult passage. Again, go back and read Romans 8, 9, and 10. Um, So you have, you you know, Jacob I loved, Esau I hated. I'll have mercy on whom I have mercy and compassion on whom I have compassion. God tells Pharaoh, for the very purpose, I raised you up to, to display my power. And so just these really tough verses. But in the very next chapter, Romans 10, starting in verse 13, it says, For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. How then will they call on him in whom they have not believed? And how are they to believe in him of whom they have never heard? And how are they to hear without someone preaching? And how are they to preach unless they are sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who preach the good news. So Right there, you have these two conflicting ideas. Paul is saying it's all God's choice. God chooses, you know, before before Jacob and Esau were born, before they'd done anything good or bad, God chose. And then in the very next chapter, for everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. And Paul's saying, how are they going to know unless we go tell them? So right there, you have the tension of God's sovereignty, God's choice, and, and also the actions of man. In wrapping up, I want to play you a clip by John MacArthur. He's a Calvinist pastor, but he d- he's a very popular pastor, and so he does these uh, Q&A sessions, and he said pretty much every Q&A session he's ever done, he always gets this question, you know, is it God's sovereignty or is it man's free will, that, that sort of thing. So here's a clip of what I thought was just a brilliant answer. I could never say it this well, and so I'm going to play that for you, and also he has a, a sermon called Twin Truths, which I will link in the episode notes. Uh, that's, if you're going to listen, if you're going to read any book on this topic, if you're going to listen to any debate, anything like that, this sermon, Twin Truths by John MacArthur, is the number one thing I would recommend that you listen to. It, 
it helped me so much in, uh, in, in wrestling with these ideas. And so I would highly recommend that sermon. But uh, here's just sort of this, this Q&A session sort of gives you a little snippet of what you're going to hear in that sermon. And so here we go. Let me play it. The one thing I can't do is, is deny what Scripture says. Uh, this will comfort you. Who wrote Romans? This is basic. Christianity 101 here. Who wrote Romans? Can't answer the question, can you? Why? All of Paul? All his vocabulary? All his heart? All his thoughts? All his words? All of God? And yet not mechanical? Since you did so well on that question, I'll ask you another one. Um, Who lives your Christian life? God? So you want to hold him responsible for the condition of your Christian life? Who lives your Christian life? This is pretty, pretty basic, right? You're doing it right now. Every day. Who's living your Christian life? You say, I am. Really? say God is I don't know whether you could convince everybody who knows you (laughs) you can't even answer that question listen to what Paul said I am crucified with Christ nevertheless I live yet not I he didn't know either (laughs) he said this is the divine mystery It's all of me and all of him, and what's wrong is me and what's right is him. In every major doctrine of the Bible, in every major doctrine, you have an apparent paradox that you cannot resolve. I know that I'm kept eternally secured by God, but I also know I'm commanded to persevere in faith. Two sides of the same thing. I know I can't be saved unless I'm chosen and called, and I know I can't be saved unless I'm willing to repent and believe. I don't have to harmonize it, but nor can I deny those things. And in the end, mark it, folks, in the end, God will get all the glory for every righteous thing that is done because it is all his work. So rather than answering the question by removing your confusion, I just spread your confusion over a wider area. And you rest in the fact that you don't need to grasp the mysteries that are clear in the mind of eternal God. Well, I hope you enjoyed that. I hope that uh, helped you as we sort of jump into this discussion. Again, my, my goal here is that God would be glorified, well, in every episode, but especially as we talk about this topic. Uh, I'm, I'm gonna, sometimes I'll say things that sound Arminian. Sometimes I'll say things that sound Calvinistic. And so I hope to, uh, I think it was Charles Ryrie, he said, I don't want to be known as an Arminian or a Calvinist. I want to be known as a Biblicist. I want to affirm the truths of what the Bible says. And, and that is my ultimate goal. And I, and I really think that's the ultimate goal of, of you know, all these men and women that, that I've read their books and that sort of thing. They believe that, that they are um, affirming the truths of God's Word. 
And so that's that's our goal. That's my prayer, that God would be glorified and that this would help you. If you've wrestled with these things, it would help you sort of organize your thoughts and be more consistent with what the Bible says. As a closing verse, it's Romans 10, 9. If you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved.